Welcome to the Curiosity Series, an Arts Council podcast commissioned as part of the Council's 70th anniversary celebrations. I'm Maeve Higgins, I'm your host, I'm a writer, comedian, podcaster and a curious person. In each episode, you'll hear artists involved in music, dance, poetry, literature, visual arts and theatre in conversation with me as they get curious about each other's work and explore the integral role that creativity has played in their lives. We'll discuss the broader issues and themes that connect their art as well. Our first conversation is with visual artist and printmaker Geraldine O'Reilly and poet, short story writer and novelist Mary O'Donnell. Now they're here to talk about Unlegendary Heroes, which is a work by Geraldine O'Reilly based on a collection of poetry by Mary O'Donnell of the same name. Unlegendary Heroes is currently being exhibited at the Royal Hibernian Academy annual exhibition. So both Geraldine and Mary joined me in studio and we got to hear the poems, we got to look at the work. So let's take a listen. I might ask you individually first, like... What's the starting point for both of you when it comes to making something? And then and then, how do you decide which form to put it in? Mm, yeah, okay. Interesting question. Um, well, it's always something that tickles my brain for a long period of time. I'm never quite sure in the beginning what it's going to be, but there'll be something that keeps catching my attention. And I've mm. learned over the years that if it doesn't last over a month or two... It's not worth pursuing. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's something that it's almost like a thought that keeps coming back. You know, it keeps telling me it's like a tread pulling, you know, and I, I work in a kind of more instinctual basis, really, mm. you know, uh, like I've learned not to question it anymore because I suppose that's the only thing I've gained is a little bit of experience over the years to like when I was starting out, I would throw things away, you know. Yeah. And then years later, if I did happen to find them, I'd think, God, that wasn't bad at all, you know. <laughs> Why did I throw that away? But over the years, you know, I tend to uh, say there might be something in this. I know something that, you know, might fire me up for a month or two and then it'll just disappear, which I always find a little bit disconcerting because I think, oh, this is great. This is going to be a great set of work. But no, not necessarily, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, the creative process. It, I think it, seems to have a life of its own, independent of you. And then yeah. you're just the host almost at times um, that something needs to be said. And that's what how it is. And I've learned to live with it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I love that it sounds a little bit like an affliction when it is, you say. Yeah. Well, it's a, a bit like I often... That is a big part of it, learning yeah. to live with it and... Mm. Um, learning patience, really, about that process that you're talking about. Mm. My my process, um, I was just thinking about it there, it differs from between poetry and fiction. Yeah. Um, I find that the poetry comes a lot more urgently and more quickly. Mm. And um, like so much so that I, well, not too much anymore, but I would get up in the middle of the night, you know, because <clears throat> I might have, I might forget the idea or the thing that's bugging me by the morning. It is like a, like an itch or a pain. But it feels very nice. So mm. I would get up and pursue that and work like a lunatic. But uh, with fiction, it's much slower. Um, and I'm just going to turn a little bit scatological. But, you know, approaching a novel is like having a major dose of constipation. It really <laughs> is. And um, it builds and builds and builds. And yeah. I'm, I really am avoiding it, you know, it's because I find novels are such hard work. Yeah. Um, like, 
say my my last novel, which isn't yet published, you know, but will be. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about the first thirty wor- thirty thousand words of draft in ten days. <gasps> I took myself off down to a place in Wexford, and now some of it was not good, uh, obviously. But the thing is, I had reached the point of no return. Yeah. And I knew there was no going back, you know, and that when I came home, then there was, it was locked down after that. Oh. So we had this wonderful spring um, in 2020 and I just worked away on it, you know. So you found you had kind of a third of a novel that just kind of... It was only draft now, yeah. you know. I mean, a, a lot of it mm-hmm. dropped onto the axe in due course, mm-hmm. you know, like nine nine drafts on, it's complete at maybe 82,000 words. Right. But um, but I do find approaching a novel a lot more difficult than approaching poetry. Whether that's that I started out as a poet or it was my first published thing, I don't know uh, or not, but different different methods for different outputs, you know. It's interesting that you had, you said you have this, you know, feeling and you're worried it's going to flee. Mm. So you have to get it down. And then, um, and I feel like Geraldine, you kind of thought, okay, if you stick around, I'll pay attention to. Mm, mm. So you don't capture it in that way. You, am I right? Like, or, or well, well, you see, I think I think because the um, like in recent years, I've done, I've done an awful lot of printmaking, which is very, very slow. Okay, mm. and if if the idea is not strong enough, and you're going through all these technical processes, you know, I mean, like I think a lot of visual artists would probably uh, envy writers because. It's paper and a pen or or a computer, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you know, I'm using acids and <laughs> copper and all sorts of things, and so many things can go wrong, and the image can disappear and all these sort of things. Right. So it's a much longer process technically, you know. And now painting is a bit quicker, you know. So I'm thinking of going back just to paint because I'm kind of tired of printmaking because it is such an involved technical process, you know. Um, but I, I think maybe that's it that that you can lose it very quickly because it's slow. It has to ha- be really grounded in my head, although it often doesn't look like what it started out to be. But there's a great the transfer- deal of organisation in that. Yeah, just enormous. And ordering it. And well, yeah, well, like if we talk about think- this project, you know, mm-hmm. from start to finish, we're talking two and a half years. Yeah. You know, between asking Mary, would she be, could I use some of her poems to, I had to, you know, print them, illustrate them, print them, um, you know, and there's loads of technical process to go through there. Then um, to get a box maker to make the box, get a letterpress person to set the poems, you know, wow. and then print them on the pages in silk screen, all oh this sort gosh. of thing. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was a, very labor intensive. It's very labor intensive. Um, like I, all I had to do was hand over the poems. <laughs> when, <And laughs> when did you write the poems? Um, the 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 ten that she chose, they're selected from a few different collections. Yeah. So some of them go back to maybe two thousand and nine. No, actually, the the title poem goes back to nineteen ninety eight. Mm. Unlegendary heroes. The idea for unlegendary heroes came to me when I read um, a book by P. J. Duffy called Landscapes of South Ulster, and it described. Um, some of the achievements of the men of 1938. They're in an Irish folklore study. Mm. But there are no descriptions of the achievements of women of Mm. that era. So I thought, okay, I'm going to invent an inventory of the sort of things that I 
maybe remember from my grandmother or older people, you know, because um, I, I was born in the in mid-century. So I would have, you know, I would have some memory of some things like that. Mm. And so that's how my un- Unlegendary Heroes came about. And this poem is actually on the um, Poetry Foundation website in the USA. And it has also been dramatised, sort of performed at the Irish Embassy in Boston as well. Will you read it? I'll read it now. Kathleen McKenna, Anna Gola, who was able to wash a week's sheets, shirts and swaddling, bake bread and clean the house all of a Monday. Birdie McMahon of Falkland walked to Monaghan for a sack of flour two days before her eighth child was born. Septa Duffy, Glennon, very good at sewing, embroidered a set of vestments in five days. Mary McCabe of Derry Nashalog, who cared for her husband's mother in dotage, fed ten children, the youngest still at the breast during haymaking. Mary Conlon, Tully Ree, who wrote poems at night. A Sumptamehan Tony Garvey saw many visions and was committed to the asylum. Martha McGinn of Amy, who swam Cornamundon Lock in one hour and a quarter. Marita McHugh, Foxhole, whose sponge cakes won first prize at Cloncaw Show. Miss Harper, Corley, female problems rarely ceased, pleasant in ill health. Patricia Curley, Corlatt, whose joints ached and swelled though she was young, who bore three children. Dora Houston, Stranani, died in childbirth, aged 14 years. Last words, Mammy, oh Mammy. Rosie McCrudden, Ahabog, noted for clean boots, winter or summer, often beaten by her father. Maggie Trainer, Dona, got no breakfasts, fed by the nuns, batch loaf with jam, the best speller in the school. Phyllis McCrudden, knock a fubble, who buried two husbands, reared five children and farmed her own land. Anne Moffat of Ina, who taught people to read and did not charge. So these were different, maybe more generous times, very hard times too, I think. Um, And uh, I also wanted to capture the beautiful sound of the place names of South Ulster. Aren't they lovely, you know, on the mouth, on the tongue? Mm -hmm. So That really comes across when you read that. And the names too. Yeah, beautiful. I'd love to know, like, I'd love to take a look at, you know, what you made together. Oh, I have it here. And you I do? Brought, yeah. I brought it, yeah, I brought it for you. Would, would you, it's it's part of the series? Yeah, it is a series. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. it is the whole thing? You yeah. Oh, yeah, it's oh, here. Amazing. It's on the sofa out there. Um, yeah, can we take a look? Oh, do you want to see yeah, it? Yeah, okay. please. Yeah, thank you. Oh, so cool. Okay, so that's the Unlegendary Heroes. Yes. That's the original yes. um, poem. And it, it's kind of in fragments, um, the way I saw it before. And then you have... You, you printed have, it, yeah. yeah. That's letterpress done, but it's done by a computer. And then yeah. I, I did the illustration in watercolour and then I screen printed it. Is she one of the women mentioned here? No, she's not. She's but I imagined I, I found somebody that I thought. Mm. I was doing another project called the Family Album Project, bringing families to my house and documenting their family albums. Oh. And I found one of my neighbours had this photograph of this particular woman yeah. carrying buckets of water from the well. And I thought she was like the woman oh. in Women in the Poems. Yeah, yeah. She's perfect. 
She's, Mary, you said she's perfect. Well, I think she's perfect. Um, she's um, she's a hardy woman. She has worked all her life. She's slim, angular, mm-hmm. bony. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's the, her labour is in her body. And so, like, what was it like for you, Mary, to see your words then become these images? It was absolutely astounding, actually. Um, well, it, it always is when you hand something over to, mm. you know, it'd be the same if if if, a, if something of mine is on radio and being read by an actor. Mm-hmm. They put a different weight on everything. Um, some of the images um, surprised me, startled me. So there's a poem Which here, one? Those prostitutes in Cuba. Okay. For example, um, that startled me a little bit. Um, what did I say now? I wasn't expecting the guy to look as kind of dishy, really, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I didn't think, you know, yeah. yeah, he sort of has this hapless, helpless expression on his face as if to say, what can I do? These two, these two women have latched on to me. I've latched on to me, whereas, in fact, he seeks them out. And um, pays. And pays. Mm. And, you know, he has his breakfast with them the next day. And um, that was based on a story that was told to me by someone I know about his what happened to him in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So I reimagined it as, well, isn't it well for this guy in his 60s, you know, who can go off and do this? Oh, he was in his 60s. You never mentioned his age to me, you see. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I never did. Yeah. I, knew, I knew nothing. Oh, yeah, he was an old battered fella, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, he's very you know, handsome here. He's very handsome. But I, I was just thinking about, well... For a woman, say, an older woman, supposing she wanted to be with two men together, it's just practically unheard of or very, very secret, mm-hmm. it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just a perspective on the, the differences between women's lives and men's lives. Oh, it's fascinating. And also the fact that, you know, even though he, even though here, like, and the way, you know, Geraldine interpreted it was that, you know, he could be young and good looking. Oh, yeah. It's the same deal. Like he's, exactly. you know, it's the same deal. Exactly. Like, so, but the thing is, her image brought another dimension to mm-hmm. that, and that's what happens. They were like two kittens, he said, snuggling up to him. They were fun, and they liked him. I thought, against my own sex. How enviable his freedom to fall in with such company, then breakfast with them afterwards, heartily, admiring their health, their strong teeth, that vitality. It could never happen to a woman my age, two tiger men who would not wound, the three of us so human in a dusky room, sunlight stealing through the slats in colours from Matisse, the riotous world within and without. I wonder, like, with a work like this that's made up from both of you, do either of you feel ownership over it? I never even thought of it. Yeah, me neither. Like, I've always worked on something, you know, that I wanted to work on that, Mm -hmm. you know, occurred to me and stayed with me for quite a while. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not a very good businesswoman, okay? I don't think about the financial side, which is ridiculous, probably. I've always, you know, took other jobs to pay for things because I wanted to do a particular project. Do you mean other jobs like you Teaching and stuff, I see. you know. Yeah. Yeah, or anything yeah. That, uh, that I could get uh, to, to pay for it. Yeah. And just pursue it. Um, which, in a way, as a visual artist, can not necessarily be the best thing because I've done all different types of projects, And so do I have a recognizable style which makes mm -hmm. you commercially more saleable? Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't necessarily have a style as such. I tend to respond to, you know, the subject matter and, and figure out what's the best way to present that. And I wonder, Geraldine, is that the way it is in Ireland or is it like, is it yeah. like that in other places? Because I, I find, um, say, it's certainly in the world of poetry, when you write, when you write a book, Uh, the books that are that have a definite theme stringing all the poems together are the ones that get a lot of attention usually you okay. know um whereas i i don't write like that it's easier to sum I, them up yeah it is maybe i think you know, and I, sell I, them on and i'm i'm not that driven by theme there may be a few themes but i always mm. have to start searching you know oh god i better put a shape on this <laughs> i wouldn't yeah. write but, the but whole i think book the visual arts way. in ireland suffer a lot they're, they're, yeah. they're really back behind the writers and the poets in terms of the amount of publicity and the amount of attention like i was saying to mary last mm. week you know that Yeah. You know, you would be lucky to see a review of somebody who's had 30 shows in, in, in an Irish newspaper. You know, whereas you, you will get a review perhaps with your first book. You know, you know, like the um, it's not That's taking very that seriously. It's not you're not yeah. taking that so seriously. True. Like yeah. I can go through all the newspapers of a weekend and there'll be apps and there, there's so much work going on, you know. I have to recalibrate my brain because I'm so used to hearing writers complain about not getting enough attention. Well, try and be a visual artist. And I hear all sorts yeah. of visual artists say the same thing no, to me. No, you're absolutely right. You writers know? at least get a notice. We do. You know, you'll, you'll at least get a notice. It mightn't be a review, a proper yeah. consider, but it'll be a notice of some kind. Yeah. And the papers here are quite good at trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm not knocking that they do that for writers. Oh, I know. I, I wish they would do it for the visual artists, you know. And um, and, and why why because you want more people to see. Yeah, because there are people doing extraordinary things, and mm -hmm. you know, it's like how do you get a break in mm -hmm. your career? You know, and there are so many of, you know, coming up behind me. Mm -hmm. How how are they going to get out there or even have an audience outside the country unless there's some kind of promotion of them? You know. Yeah. And I, you know, I do feel that that's one area that maybe the Arts Council could tackle. You know. I wonder though if you were kind of cosseted or are supported more at the beginning, would you have ended up with you know this? body of work with all these incredible, you know, collaborative instincts. No, but I, I just think like, I mean, uh, you know, the animation industry was seen as, you know, kind of the visual arts at one time. And then mm. it was designated an industry because so, we were so successful at it. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, now, you know, when they go abroad and trade missions, they will promote the animation as an industry. You know, um, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not my job to promote the visual arts, but yeah. I think that if people don't know what's there, And I mean, I said to you outside that when I went to New York first and I said I was visual artist, quite a few people laughed at me. They said they never heard of such a thing. Now, I know it was, the, you know, in the 80s, the 80s. But, <laughs> but Irish writer is fine, you know, yes, but not, yeah. not visual arts. There was wow. no recognition of that, that that was not. But I can understand that given our history, you know, and, and the way that, you know, it was. 
kind of stories would have been passed tradition the, the oral and tradition mm-hmm. and it's very strong mm-hmm. for historical reasons you mm-hmm. know but that's not to say that, like, I mean, if we look at the animation business and Cartoon Saloon have been nominated, what, twice or three times for Oscars, mm-hmm. it's so visual, you know. That's, um, so, that's so real. Yeah, that really is. You know, we're not visually illiterate or we don't have to be. You know? I, I actually think that <clears throat> you mentioned, Maeve, you know, what if you're cosseted and you know, really. I, I actually think that with the right system of patronage, you know, in the old 18th, 19th century mm-hmm. style, people would have great freedom to just really go off and experiment and yeah. pursue their art. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that was was a very thin minority of people who got any kind of patronage. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think artists do need it. And I think our society needs to nourish artists um, who often, um, I think artists are quite prescient. They think ahead into the future instinctively. Um, and therefore sometimes anticipate um, without even knowing it themselves uh, things, ways of thinking, attitudes and all that sort of stuff that are ahead, you know. But But I also think, though, I know so many artists, because I used to teach in third level, Mm -hmm. who drop away in their late 20s. Once they have children or whatever, they cannot afford to continue. Like the dropout rate is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard... um, business to be in and try and sustain mm. family life and get a house and look at it now. I mean, it must be impossible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because uh, I, I... It's sad to think, isn't it, about the... The housing crisis is just... Well, I mean, yes, but I mean, the kind of less even visible loss of the work that they would have made. Yes. The voices that went quiet because they just didn't have the, the opportunity. Support, the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I do sense from both of your work that you kind of um, hold on to that and try and represent that a little bit? Yeah, I I think that um, time poverty and financial poverty Mm -hmm. when you're a younger artist are really, really significant. And a woman artist? And yes, a woman artist as well. Um, They're they're significant things, so they are. But, you know, I think think women artists, most of their their lives are... um, a bit more impoverished or can be that way because mm. when they're older then they usually get to look after a parent, mm. maybe a very ailing parent or whatever. Um, and that that tends to be the pattern. It is more women who do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, will I say what? There's so much to say about this. Um, it's a big topic. It's a big topic. When I, when I was younger, you know, like many other younger women, I suppose I'd moan sometimes, you know, oh, you know, the men are all in the pub forging relationships, but I'm doing something else or whatever. But then and then then I had a we had a child and that that was fine, actually. It was only when I came to be older and was caring for my mother Hmm. that there really I, I really did find that my time was on a different level. My energies were different. And so I, I gave up my university job because it was a question of am I a writer or am I a teacher? I mean, that's after so many years. And I said, I'm a, I'm a writer. I'll carry on writing. So the job went and I was still able to do the thing, go to my mother who lived in, in Monaghan. It was fine in the long run, but it wasn't always easy. Hmm. Um, now, they are talking about bringing in, uh, they're piloting at the moment a basic living wage for artists. In re- Like in one way, the positive of the COVID was because people had nothing to go to, no live concerts, no exhibitions. Mm. People really missed it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I think before People that... People missed the... The arts. Yes. And, 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 yeah. and the economy that goes with it, you know, the festivals and all that sort of thing and what it brings to an area. Mm-hmm. And also a recognition that uh, humans are social animals. They do not like to... Mm-hmm be on their own all the time, you know? You, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think it was the first time they actually realised that this is a really important part of the economy. And even though the likes of me doesn't make much money out of it, the spin-off for the rest of society, you know, exactly. uh, yeah. you, you know, is yeah. huge. Massive. And it was never calculated before. So now they're, they, I know that the minister has initiated a um, pilot scheme, uh, which was really well subscribed Uh, by artists of all types. Yeah, I've certainly, you know, as somebody, because I live in America, so I live abroad and definitely, you know, you can see how valued the Irish arts are (laughs) abroad and we get, you know, trotted out and, you know, it's... The response to even being Irish when you go over there is extraordinary, isn't it? You know, I nearly faint, you know, because I know. <laughs> it makes me weak. You're, just, you're so unused to such a claim. <laughs> what? You're Irish? <laughs> and it's, as if they, it's as if you're full of mystical goodies, you know, and all kinds oh, of imaginative stuff. The little stuff. fairies who yeah, pop yeah. up and tell our stories. Yeah, it's yeah, delightful, yeah, actually, yeah. to experience that occasionally. Yeah, a little bit of it will yeah, go, does good. go a long way. <laughs> As long as you don't get above yourself. As I know. <laughs> yeah, well, you can come home for that. Yeah, now, yeah. You know, for the for the Arriving in Shannon Airport. You yeah. Know. yeah, slap, slap. <laughs> and so today, I'm sure it's better than it was back when you were both beginning. But, you know, how is your financial stability? Is that still an issue for you both? I want to consolidate, but I could still do with a big, big sale. <laughs> You know, a mega, a mega, a book that will just sell and sell. I know, I know. Yeah, everybody wants, everybody wants to to do that, you know, but um, no, I'm I'm actually doing more than consolidating. I'm still doing totally new stuff, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's just the way it'll be till the day I drop or whenever the energy runs out, Mm. you know. Um, So artistically, creatively next steps for both of you also I'm aware that this is still this is only just up in the RIT I know but gallery, you know when you so do something it's already over for you mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like once you make the thing I, I, it's gone it's gone it's gone it's terrible I like. it's the making of the thing I like especially when I'm in the middle of it mm-hmm. you know when I know it's going good I don't get any pleasure out of the exhibitions or anything oh Mary you're, them. you're nodding are you like that too um, uh, what did I say? No, no, I get great pleasure out of seeing my books in a bookshop window. Ah, Enormous yeah. pleasure. I would really. Yeah. Well, I suppose, yeah. yeah that yeah, kind I, of visibility. I, 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 but, and I was absolutely thrilled to see this in the RHA. And also, um, we, have, we have sold one edition of yeah. it to Maynooth University. Oh, has brilliant. bought one edition of it. So brilliant. this is a limited edition that is for sale, you know, for, let's say, specialist institutions or yeah. people who want to put it in their archive or whatever. Um, no, I always have so a problem because I always made art as a child in private because oh. I lived in a big family and, you know, there was no art or anything like that. So it was kind of like my secret thing. I've never been able to shake it off. And also I find it really terrifying when somebody's looking at something I've done. I've never been yeah. able to get over that. You know, I, I don't know why. Well, so I can understand that. Exhibitions are an ordeal for me, you know, even though... I might chat away and all that sort of thing, but I'm always glad when it's over. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Geraldine, I, I watched, uh, there was a friend of mine and I watched an exhibition, people coming into an exhibition of hers in, I think it was the Cross Gallery some years ago. And and I thought, no wonder she's nervous. It was like watching a crowd of peacocks stepping around <laughs> and, you know, peering at yeah, it's and a different thing, away. You know, it's a different can, thing from the making tell, of it. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. You know, yeah. and, uh, something so private and then. Yeah. yeah, which is the nice part, I think, you know, mm. like when you feel you're getting somewhere with something and, and it's taking on a life of its own and so on. It's just so exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think as I get older, it's getting more exciting. That's the interesting thing. Mm. I thought as I got older, you know, it would, um, you know, the way sort of it would fade away, you know, mm-hmm. but it hasn't. It's got stronger. I think because of, I suppose, because you're more experienced and uh, you're, yeah, uh, like, I kind of think the best is yet to come. Well, that's what I'd like to think, you know. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to the Arts Council website and social media channels. That's where we'll announce our next guests. Now, if you enjoyed the episode, please like it, please rate it, subscribe to the series and share with others. Doing that really helps us to spread the word about these wonderful conversations. Huge thanks to the artists who joined us this week and to our audio engineer, Dean Jones, at Scimitar Sound. This series is produced by Milestone Inventive and Big O on behalf of the Arts Council of Ireland. See you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you, Maeve. That was wonderful. I wish I had one more.